0: About 200 years ago, when I was in grade school, my class would go to the school library every Friday, and without fail, the books with the longest waiting list to be checked out were the scary stories to tell in the Dark series. I'm not sure if they're as popular with kids nowadays, but for those who grew up in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, these books were the pinnacle of horror and gave my early onset fear of the outside world a rock-solid foundation, all thanks to the iconic illustrations by Stephen Gammel, which still live rent free in my nightmares and of course, the stories themselves. Is it really possible for a spider to lay eggs in my face? How likely am I to find a hook in my car door after taking a girl to make out point? And if I eat a corpse's toe, is it really gonna hunt me down and take it back? These are the concerns that really plagued my 10-year-old mind. And while they never became relevant to my life, the fear that these stories induced in me led to my never reading them again. Hell, I even avoided looking at the illustrations when I'd see the books on the shelf. But now that I'm a big, strong grown-up, I've mostly overcome those fears, and with the spooky season officially upon us, it felt like the perfect time to find out where the stories that traumatized me, you, and entire generations of America's youth came from. So this week and next week, we'll be diving into the folk tales, myths, and legends that author Alvin Schwartz used as inspiration and eventually made their way into the scary stories to tell in the dark movie, starting with the one, the only, Harold. Before we dive into it, though, you're probably going to need some help falling asleep and focusing after hearing these tales. So I want to introduce you to our sponsor, Endel. Endel is an app that I use literally every single day of the week. It's an environment-based app that uses cutting-edge AI technology to design real-time personalized soundscapes that help you focus, relax, and sleep. As someone with ADHD, I always prefer having music playing in the background whenever I do basically anything from working to meditating to napping. But it has to be the right kind of music that fits the mood of my situation, but also doesn't distract me with catchy lyrics. That's a lot of boxes to check, which is why Endel Soundscapes have been a game changer since I started using them around this time last year. Not only are they backed by neuroscience, but they use real-time inputs like your heart rate, the time of day, and weather to ensure they're properly tuned in to whatever activity you're doing. And a really cool bonus that I didn't expect was that after using them so consistently, my body has started having a Pavlovian response to the soundscapes. Like when I press focus, my brain is ready to dive right into a project and the sleep soundscape immediately calms my whole body down, making it so much easier to fall asleep. It doesn't surprise me at all that Endel users with ADHD, tinnitus, and sleep disorders have all said that it helps their symptoms, so if you've been struggling with productivity or balancing a healthy sleep schedule, you should give Endel a shot. The first 100 people who download Endel by scanning the QR code or clicking the link in the description or pinned comment will get a free week of audio experiences. Alvin Schwartz had a talent for choosing stories that would stay stuck in his readers' minds. That's a quality that all of the tales featured in these scary stories to tell in the dark share. But out of those dozens of stories, most would agree that one was impossible to forget no matter how much you would have liked to, Harold. If you've heard the story at least once in your life, you probably don't need me to retell it but I'm going to anyway, because I want to pass my trauma on to others. Also, I'm sure there's at least a few of you who've only seen the movie and they put quite the twist on it. So you've got to know the original tale and all the clever references they made to it. And for those who haven't seen the movie, be warned, I'm spoiling the out of it. This tale can be found on page 30 of Scary Stories 3. It follows two farmers named Thomas and Alfred who've brought their cows into the mountain pasture to graze. They did this every summer when it got hot in the valley they lived in and would usually stay up there for about two months. And while it was easy work, it was also incredibly boring. Well, this year Thomas had a great idea. They should take on a project to help pass the time a project that was fun, but also useful. He suggested they build a scarecrow out of the old sacks of straw they had lying around. It would keep the birds out of the field and they could get creative with how they designed him. That's when Alfred suggested they make it look like Harold, a farmer they both hated. And Thomas found that hilarious, so they gave the scarecrow Harold's beady eyes, frowny face, a pointy nose, and of course, his name. Every morning, they would tie Harold onto a pole in the field, and every evening, they would bring him inside so the rain didn't ruin him. Sometimes they were nice to Harold and joked around about his job being even more boring than theirs, but they also took out their frustrations on him. On bad days, they would punch him, kick him, and whenever they felt sick of eating the same old stew day after day, they would smear it on his face for him to eat. One night, after Thomas smeared food on Harold's face, Harold grunted. (laughs) Alfred refused to believe it, but Thomas swore it was true. Either way, this led to them giving old Harold a break from the abuse, even letting him stay inside all day instead of tying him up in the field. Occasionally, he'd let out a grunt or even twitch, but the farmers assumed that some mice or cockroaches were just crawling around inside of him. Then, one morning, their worst fears were proven true. Harold stood up right in front of them, and he appeared to have grown since they first made him. The farmers were too terrified to move, but Harold didn't touch them. He just walked outside, climbed on the roof of the hut, and started trotting around like a horse on its hind legs. Then, when the sun rose the next morning, Harold got off the roof, walked to a far corner of the field, and just stared at the farmers from a distance. They had no idea what to expect from Harold next, and agreed they didn't want to find out so they concluded their trip to the mountains early and started their descent into the valley. Just when the farmer's spirits began lifting and they felt like they'd avoided certain danger, they realized they'd forgotten their milking stools, and apparently those were expensive, so they drew straws to see which of them would go back to retrieve them, and Thomas was the lucky winner. Alfred continued his descent, but when he came to a rise in the path, he looked back to see if Thomas was catching up or if he should wait for him. Only, he didn't see Thomas, he saw Harold. The doll was standing on the roof again, stretching out Thomas's bloody skin to dry in the sun. That's gotta be one of the most disturbing endings in horror history. And I think it's largely because of how much it leaves to the imagination. The visual that's conjured up of a scarecrow drying out a man's skin is already horrifying, but then you start imagining the struggle that led up to that, and what Thomas endured in his final moments. Not to mention, how did Alfred respond to seeing his friend laid out like that? There's no way that he went back to that hut unless he had a flamethrower in hand and was accompanied by the entire platoon from Predator. So Harold must have been free to finish whatever arts and crafts project he was making with Thomas' body, and in the back of Alfred's mind, he knew that he doomed his friend to that fate and could only hope that Harold wouldn't track him down next. Now let's take a look at all the crafty ways that the minds behind the movie utilized the story, and you can tell me which of Harold's victims you'd rather be. In the film, Harold is a scarecrow on the Milner farm. The Milner's son, Tommy, named after Thomas from the original story, apparently hates Harold and likes to beat him up with his friends on occasion, mirroring the behavior of the farmers in the story. What I really like about this adaptation is it actually acknowledges its source material in a clever way. Similar to how many of you watching read these stories as a kid, the movie's characters also read them. Only in their universe, they were written by the ghost of a sick and abused girl named Sarah Bellows, who used her own blood for ink. Also, just like us, the characters are terrified of the stories coming true and happening to them. And they do. One at a time starting with Tommy. So remember how, at the end of the story, Thomas has to go back to the hut to grab the milk stools that he and Alfred forgot? Well, in the film, Tommy returns home from his day of degeneracy, full of candy stealing, attempted kidnapping, and hate crimes, is scolded by his mom for forgetting to drop off eggs to the Wolverton family, and she orders him to do it right now. Instead of being skinned alive and laid out to dry, Tommy is impaled by a pitchfork, Then he slowly transforms into a scarecrow. He's puking up straw, his skin is drying out and turning leathery, and the next time we see him, he's hanging in Harold's place. So at first glance, Tommy's fate appears to be quite a bit different than Thomas's, but there's actually some overlap. You just have to use your imagination. Think about it. We already established that Harold was likely gonna make something out of Thomas's skin. And what could be more poetic than him making Thomas into the next Scarecrow, forcing him into the same position to be abused just like he was. I could be wrong, but I feel like that was the implied fate of Thomas, while the movie leaves no doubt that Harold has found his replacement. But remember what I said in the intro, that the stories that Alvin Schwartz used in his series all came from folklore, myth, and legend. Take the Wendigo story, which is also referenced in the film. Schwartz based that one on the famous Algernon Blackwood tale, which we actually covered last year. Well, Harold is no different, so let's take a look at the twisted tales that inspired his creation. So it turns out that Harold is not the first evil scarecrow to come to life. This kind of folktale was actually rather popular in the mountainous countries surrounding the Alps, Austria, Switzerland, and Germany to name a few. I decided to read some of those tales and found some interesting things I wanna share. First off, Harold isn't just some doll or scarecrow come to life. He's a creature that in folklore is known as a senentunchi a Swiss word that I am definitely mispronouncing. In folklore, Senentunchis are deformed and distorted dolls that are made from pieces of trash, like how Harold was created from straw and old rags they had lying around. Most senentuchi tales follow the same structure as the one that we just read. Some lonely farmers in the mountains make a doll and abuse it, then the doll comes to life and takes its revenge. But there is one distinct and much darker difference between the tales that were told around the mountains and the story we just read. Yeah, believe it or not, the story can get darker. In the folk tales that Schwartz borrowed from, the Senentunchi is usually made to look like a woman. There's actually a Swiss horror movie made in 2010 that follows this version pretty closely. And it's for that reason that I'm never gonna watch it. Because in addition to beating the senentunchi on a regular basis, the farmers also rape her which makes you feel significantly less terrible for the one that gets skinned alive at the end. Some other differences are that the farmers in the tale are often described as godless heathens who mock Christianity in all its forms, and that the event that triggers the doll coming to life is them baptizing it. Why do they baptize the doll? For the sole purpose of dunking on Jesus. It was their way of saying, you know that sacred ceremony that all of your followers have to go through? Well, we're gonna do the same ceremony with the sex doll that we made out of trash. It's at this point that God evidently runs out of patience. When the doll is baptized, he blesses it with life, then it punishes its oppressors for their sinful ways by brutally murdering the worst one of the bunch. We're never given the exact details for how exactly that murder goes down, but it always ends the same way with the surviving farmers looking back at the hut and seeing the killer drying out their friend's skin on the roof. Now, in the process of making this episode, I wanted to read up on every source that the author Alvin Schwartz used. And in his bibliography, he lists a book called Once Upon a Time on the Nature of Fairy Tales, written by Swiss scholar Max Luthi in 1970. If you consider yourself a folklore nerd like I do, you would love this book. Luthi provides all kinds of rich analysis on the symbolism of folk tales, from the sociological to psychological to structural and stylistic. Chapter six is where you'll find his examination of stories about living dolls and learn the difference between local legends and fairy tales. Stories about Senantucci are specifically classified as local legends because most of the time, when they're retold, they're presented as if they really happened. Local legends also tend to be darker and more violent than fairy tales, or at least fairy tales as we know them today. That being said, living dolls are still known to appear in fairy tales, and this one from Greece manages to teach the same lessons as the prototypical Senentucci story, even containing a lot of similar details, but is much less likely to traumatize you. I'll keep this brief. Basically, a princess who's in need of some companionship makes herself a man out of sugar, almonds, and groats, things that she had lying around, just like the farmers. Then she prays to God for 40 days and 40 nights, and God blesses the Groat man with life as a reward. So the inverse of the farmers who were punished when God gave life to the doll. The princess immediately falls in love with Mr. Groats, who becomes the talk of the kingdom due to his miraculous creation, but much to her dismay, an evil queen learns of his existence and wants him for herself. So she kidnaps him. The princess is then forced to search for Mr. Groats throughout the land, wearing out three pairs of iron shoes in the process and eventually she finds him sitting on the throne next to the evil queen. At first, he doesn't recognize the princess at all, but eventually she refreshes his memory and the two ride a majestic horse back to her kingdom and live happily ever after. Meanwhile, the evil queen attempts to make a new man for herself, but because she's selfish, sinful, and doesn't put any love into it, the man just rots and has to be thrown away. So as you can see, her fate isn't quite as excruciating as the farmer's, but she certainly loses in the end and we can still learn the same lessons about selflessness and piety from Mr. Groats' story as we can from Harold's. But that is where today's stories end and where I ask you to share your thoughts, not only about Harold's messed up origins, but these scary stories to tell in the dark series. If you read them as a child, I am genuinely curious to hear if they stuck in your mind and gave you nightmares like they did myself. And if so, what stories in particular stayed with you? Should we cover their messed up origins? Let me know by hitting up Messed Up Origins on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Links to all of those are in the description. Also, remember to rate this episode five stars and give our humble little show a follow so you don't miss next Friday's episode on another iconic tale from the series. Until then, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.